2: The Athletic. Ladies and gentlemen, it is
1: showtime. Please welcome the team of the Fulhamish Podcast.
0: It's the Fulhamish Podcast, your independent voice of Fulham FC, brought to you by The Athletic UK. My name's Sammy James, and welcome to the show today. We're going to be having the final word on Fulham's 0-0 draw at West Ham. Be looking ahead to the Valentine's Day game up at Goodison Park. Can we break the curse? No win up at Everton in the league since the 1950s. It's going to be a tall order, but after the Toffees playing 120 minutes in a ding-dong with an FA Cup match in midweek, maybe, just maybe, there is a chance for Fulham. Uh, We're also going to be discussing the Harvey Elliott's tribunal fee which was announced last night and was broken by peter Uh, we're also going to discuss the latest twitter escapade of our director of football tony khan also there'll be an opposition preview uh, from everton done by don betts later in the podcast Uh, but before all that let's introduce my guest today jack collins hello mate how you doing And The Athletic's Peter Rutzler.
1: Hey, Sammy, how are you doing?
0: Good, thank you. Uh, Speaking of uh, The Athletic, uh, if you aren't subscribed right now, you can do for a special price. You can enjoy great analysis and in-depth features from the very best football writers around, as well as ad-free versions of all our podcasts for less than one pound a week. Just go to theathletic.com slash Fulham pod to sign up and enjoy The Athletic throughout 2021. That's theathletic.com forward slash Fulham pod. Um, right, it's the Thursday club, lads, and uh, lots to discuss. Let's start off with a final word from Saturday's nil-nil draw against West Ham. Peter, you were in attendance. It was a it was a cold one at Craven Cottage, and it was a frustrating evening for Fulham because it was a good performance on its own. In isolation, was a good result but we're just looking so far adrift, particularly with that Newcastle win.
1: Yeah, I, Newcastle seem to keep picking up the wins and it's just those are the things that sort of compound what would otherwise be a pretty good point against a, a, an upwardly mobile West Ham. Um, you know, on, I think the first half was, was pretty drab. It wasn't particularly exciting. It was very tight. It was very much like, like the first game at the, at the London Stadium. But um, second half, you know, Fulham took it to, to West Ham. Uh, I felt they were on top. Um, and it was just just their inability to take take chances. I mean, we, we you know we just may as well just record this segment and I'll we'll play it every time. But um, it's the, you know it's, it is the difference at the moment. I mean, uh, the chance the chances are there. Like it's it's never easy to create opportunities against good teams, especially ones like West Ham. They've been on a run of clean sheets. Um, and, and you think you think of Ruben Loftus Cheek's chance. You think of even Cavallero's chance. I think Bobby Reid sort of had a half chance on the volley. Um, one of those needs to go in. I mean, that's that's that that is the difference now between a point and three points. And I think the only the only sort of criticism I had uh, was was the slowness really of introducing a, a number nine up front. Um, you know, Scott Parker introduced both Josh Mager and Alexander Mitrovic, uh, and I, I guess there's a I, I've, in, judging from the dynamic of the game. He's probably looking at it going, do I do I do I twist and and bring on the centre forward and. And then potentially see us concede, but I, j- I just think he's, he's got to go sooner now. I think the dice needs to be rolled a bit earlier, and you know, if you if you if you drop a point against West Ham, I mean, it's who you knows the end of the season it could be really valuable, and we look at it with hindsight in a different way. But right now, the wins are just so important, uh, especially with the running games coming up, because you know th- this is where they need points now. Otherwise, it's just it's just not going to happen. Is it uh, survival?
3: Yeah, I said this on full time, basically that I thought that Scott. Started the game with the right attitude. I thought that we played relatively well. Yes, we're still a bit toothless, um, but I think that's you know what you kind of expect without a recognised nine up there. And uh, ultimately, like Peter says, it was it felt like it was time to, to twist earlier. I thought we outplayed West Ham. They weren't particularly good, um, but we were we were a better side for the majority of it. We created a whole lot more chances, and it was nice to see that four at the back, and suddenly you know twenty shots on goal and. Yes, there was only a couple of those on target. But it's nice to get, you know, to be putting those shots away and getting in shooting positions is good. Um, is this a month too late? I think so. Um, but, you know, we're we're at a point now where we have to kick on and and it felt like even with the twist to a, a four at the back, you know, there was still that reluctance to really kind of throw the kitchen, sink it at the end. But, I mean, we also did have opportunities. Ruben Loftus-Chic should have done better on a couple of occasions. We had a couple of snapshots wide. Cav made the wrong decision here and there and you know, I, I don't think that it was, you know, completely all a massive problem on, on, on Sunday or Saturday. It was, you know, it was good in in, the, in large parts, but ultimately I don't think good is going to be quite good enough uh, right now. Mm. And, and we need to get those wins on the board. And it felt like, you know, while it was massively improved performance, it, it still did feel like two points dropped at the end of the day.
0: I mean, Peter, I feel like this break, this eight day gap has come at the perfect time for Fulham. It was such an intense round of matches, kind of four midweek games in a row against really tough opposition. Hopefully this this gap, this week off, and it's only a week, but it can be important, will have hopefully just given everyone, the players, the coaching staff, the training ground, just a couple of days to recharge the batteries, maybe get a little bit of fitness back. And particularly when you saw Everton play the game that they did last night. And, and what a game, one that will go down an FA Cup folklore. It gives us some confidence that it might balance out the game against the difficult side this weekend.
1: yeah, hopefully those those minutes will will take their toll on on uh, on Sunday, and you're you're right, you know that having a week to prepare will make will make such a difference. you know there's not very much you can do. I mean uh, Scott Park has talked a couple of times about what they're actually able to do, and it's, it is mainly just recovery and a few bit of tactical pieces and uh, bits and pieces, but you can't do too much. Or on a technical basis. Um, so that, that should make a difference. I think i got a couple of tweets of people saying they need to do shooting practice from noon till night and i um, not sure that'll be that effective uh, considering all around play, but something along those lines may, may be useful considering, considering recent weeks. Um, and yeah, you have to consider obviously with the run that they've had, obviously there's COVID in the middle of it, which isn't a break. Um, uh, as was mentioned earlier, I think, I think it was Jurgen Klopp who, who pointed it out. Um, it's, it's not a break in the, in the sense that you're, you're doing nothing. It's actually quite detrimental to, to preparation. And when you have that in the middle of a run of fixtures, which are Wednesday, Saturday, Wednesday, Saturday, it's it, it's not easy. Um, so this this week long period, there should be a few more of these now. It just gives Fulham more time to prepare, and well, it'll be interesting to see how, how that sort of affects the the way they play o- on Sunday.
0: I mean, Jack, what have you made of Everton this season? Started off so well and there was talk about them winning the title in the first month of the season. That kind of subsided after a bad run of form. Um, Recently, you know, they lost that game 2-0 to Newcastle, which was a massive blow to Fulham, but then came back and won in a really good win at Elland Road. They left it late against Man United to nick a point they probably didn't deserve to. It was more Man United's incompetence at the back that gave them the point, but still got to admire the the tenacity and the never say die attitude to get the point. And then last night's game against Spurs was just was just magical, wasn't it? Either side could have won it. Um, both sides weren't particularly good in defence, particularly Everton from corners, but also we saw how lethal they are up front. Uh, I don't know if you can almost read that much into last night's game. It was so exceptional.
3: Yeah, it was it was chaos from start to finish, basically. And, and I mean, the United game was a little bit as well. So yes, perhaps yesterday is, is not one to read into, but it's also probably worth noting that there's been a reasonable amount of goals, especially for both sides in in a lot of their in their recent fixtures. You know, you look at from twelfth of Jan, they beat Wolves two one, then they drew one all with Leicester, then they lost to Newcastle, then they beat Leeds, then they drew three all with United, then they yes, you know, last night beat Tottenham five four in the Cup. So yeah, there's, there's a, whole lot of, a whole lot of kind of inconsistency, but I mean, you're absolutely right. Their defence looks like at the moment that it it's there to be got at in some ways, but they also have, you know, a reasonably terrifying front three going forward in Hamas Rodriguez, Richarlison and Calvert-Lewin, who may or may not be injured um, given given what happened. But look, it was just all a bit bizarre really. And and I think that if we can if we can get in between those those you know, strikers, we will get opportunities. But as we saw in the West Ham game, opportunities don't always equal goals for Fulham. So, you know, we've got to be more clinical. We've been saying this for weeks. We've got to carve out, you know, higher chances of, of scoring for ourselves and Ultimately, you know, we look at this and think, is it an opportunity and probably the best one we'll have for a while at Goodison Park, especially given the midweek antics, maybe. Um, But we famously don't travel well there. So it's it's a bit of a kind of a dilemma in many ways, mate. I mean,
0: if there is a time to break the curse, it's probably without fans, right? It's when uh, hoodoos can be broken. And, and we saw it recently in the Premier League. You know, Man City couldn't win at Anfield for love nor money with great teams, not so great teams. Even when Liverpool weren't that good, they still couldn't win there. Um, but without fans, it, it just removes real home advantage. And so, Peter Fulham. I mean, I don't think players read anything into runs like Fulham haven't won at Goodison since the 1950s. I think it's only really fans that pay attention to that, but if there's ever a time to break the curse, it probably is on Sunday um, with the circumstances.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's a good opportunity. Of course, this is a a pretty good Everton team as we saw earlier in the season. Um, They did show those defensive vulnerabilities in, in that game. And, um, that should give Fulham some confidence, especially how they came back into it. Obviously, Cav Mister Mister penalty. Um, I think it that was, was that the third one, of the run of missed penalties. I think yeah. it was yeah. the third one. Yeah, that was house of, deri- uh, of pain when that one went over. So, um, yeah, no, it is, it, it, it's, it's an opportunity. Every game's an opportunity for Fulham. They need to, need to pick up points and um, as, as, as soon as they can, really. I mean, bear in mind, this is still an Everton under Ancelotti who are pushing for the European places. They're not far off them at all. They sort of... Have blown hot and cold in, in 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 recent weeks over the festive period, but um, if Calvert Lewin is available for then we've seen how much of a threat he's become, how he's been able to sort of take that all round sort of game where he's effective doing all all the the tough stuff as a forward, is, is running his movement and and all of that, and then finally added a, a clinical edge um, uh, to his game, and uh, Fulham could do with some of that themselves. I, I guess the the real question is you know how do Fulham set up here do do they still stick with the four that we sort of saw uh, I'm still not fully convinced it was a a four you know a, like a, a more recognized four I just I feel like Fulham just had more of the game so we saw Bobby higher up but I mean he did didn't seem to want to drop into that wing back role but he did a few times as well so it'll be interesting to see how if Parker sort of tries to keep Bobby further up the field um and also, what happens up front, of course, and, and who's going to lead the line, which which is just the main the main talking point at the moment.
0: I mean, what would you do, Jack? Because this is one of those games, Everton away, where you would say, okay, maybe actually, Fulham do need to line up with the five, and and given Everton's recent defensive record, you would hope that Fulham will get chances. Whether they can take them is is another matter, but we know how lethal they are up front so we do need to be very aware in defence and, and and keep it tight and maybe adding that extra man in defence will be a uh, be more likely that Fulham can get the clean sheet or keep it to one which which enables Fulham to have more of a chance of getting something
3: yeah uh, i think yes but on i've been obviously a huge advocate for the four i think that the fact we you know were able to to outplay west ham with that and not massively concede huge amounts of chances to them. It's probably some sentiment that the, the four is capable of doing its job. If Scott decides that his best attacking thrust in a game like this can come from trying to overload the sides and get either Bobby Reed or... Uh, Anthony Robinson down down those flanks and basically try and get them in behind then perhaps he does revert to that 3 I just hope that if he does we you know don't get overrun in the middle again I, I've said this before that I think that's where games break down for us and and especially without Calvert-Lewin there you'd imagine that they're going to go you know revert more towards that kind of 4-3-3 four, four, three, three, uh, and have Decore, Allen Sigurdsson Davis you know take your pick really uh, of who's going to play there and with all that said, you know I just don't want to see us getting absolutely overrun in the middle. So, so yes, if Scott decides to go back to a five at the back, then you know to counter that attacking threat, then that makes sense in some ways. But if it means that we just lose complete control of the game and we're not able to to get any sort of foothold in the middle, I think that will hurt us. So, if he does go five at the back, I hope it's a five three two rather than a you know a five two three.
0: A uh, uh, Peter. Oh, the big question will be who starts up front. Cav was pretty ineffective again against West Ham. We know that Scott Parker and Mitrovic is a, a long running saga that we've discussed many a time on this Thursday podcast. So the stars do a look a little bit aligned for, for Josh Madger to get an appearance. I thought he looked bright when he came on against West Ham. He barely got on the ball. I, I feel like had Cav stuck that ball in the 98th minute across the box. Josh Magic was in a very good position to actually finish it away, but unfortunately, Cav decided to to pull it back, which you can see why he did it, but I'm, I'm sad that he didn't stick it across the box to see if Magic could get on the end of it in the 98th minute. Do you think there's a chance that Magic could start? Obviously, we don't, won't know really for certain until the press conference, which is Friday at one o'clock, but do you think it's a possibility?
1: I mean, it's definitely a possibility. I think right now, Fulham need to find a find a solution. I think, I just don't. I think the, with Cavalera, I I just don't. It's not working, really, is it? I mean, it, I mean, when I did I did the piece on on Monday, looking just looking at him a little bit and the chances he sort of missed. And one thing I did sort of pick up that I hadn't really noticed before was actually his movement in the box is quite good. He is actually very good at buying half a yard off a defender, getting into the right spaces and. Uh, and that side of his game but what Fulham are missing is is the goal scoring touch it's that clinical edge and the ability to put the ball in the net and in, you know he's i think he's had the most big chances of of any Fulham forward this season i think he's had eight and he's he scored two um one's a penalty of course and there's a, there's another penalty missing there big big chances means an opportunity he would reasonably expected to score which is a is an opt to stat um and you know, for all the for the, all the good things he does bring, you know, the running, the movement, um, very good transition, and, and and that sort of thing. I, I think leaving him up front is, is not really working. And I think I, I just think back to to when Fulham played Manchester United, and and Adamola Luckman played through the middle, and you know, he obviously scored very early in that game. And he seems to have a a more natural knack in front of goal than than Cab does. And you know, at this point, I, there has to be some kind of change. And you know, I, I think everything, all options have to be on the table. I don't think, as you said, we, we've seen enough of Josh Maggia to make any kind of sort of judgment as yet. Um, he tried to put himself about a little bit and um, I think he only had a handful of touches at best. Uh, maybe at the end he could have had that opportunity, as you said, if, if Cavallaro had been able to pick him out. But um, you know, right now, Fulham needs something. Um, I don't think Mitrovic did at all poorly against Brighton when he came on, nor against West Brom. Um, He did well in
0: those two games, as you said, but then didn't do so well against Leicester and was immediately dropped. It's almost like he will get punished if he slightly dips, but he won't get a a stay in the team when he does. Okay. (laughs) Okay.
1: I think I think for me against Leicester, I, I didn't actually think he played poorly. I mean, he had that opportunity in the first half where Angissa squared it to him, and it it almost looked like he was either off balance or just completely misjudged it. Uh, which which can happen. I think that's probably part of the rustiness at the moment of of him. I've, I just feel like he hasn't been receiving anywhere near the service he probably want. I feel like especially later in that second half. I think as we as we discussed before, so I don't want to go over the the same ground. But I just I, the ball didn't they didn't move the ball into into him and play to his strengths enough. I don't think that game really probably suited him. And maybe Everton on, on Sunday doesn't really necessarily suit him as well. If Fulham are going to have to sit in that five and try and play in transition a bit more, maybe there's a case for that. But um, I don't think he's done anything particularly wrong when you go Brighton-West from Leicester. and So for him, maybe to come back in, want, someone has to step up, basically. Um, and it, one of those forwards has to come in and, and grab that opportunity by the scruff of the neck. You know, Cavalera is a... You know, he's. I think mean, he scored against uh, West Brom. Didn't he? He's the most recent one to have, to found the net. So that's probably why he came back in against against West Ham. And um, but yeah, one of Lukman, Majer, Mitrovic. I think you know you've got to have them leading the line and and, and just try and get some goals in the team.
0: Uh, Jack, I just want to talk survival hopes and points required and, and things like that, which can get a bit tedious, especially when you're so far out from the end. But I wanted to read this um, message that we got on our. Fulhamish Kofi Backer's Facebook group from James Doughty. He said, while in a Wikipedia rabbit hole, I regularly do that, James, do not feel guilty. I, I started looking for ways to revive my hopes of our chances at- of survival. Naturally, I went to the great escape season first. After 22 matches in 07-08, we were on 15 points with two wins, nine draws and 11 losses, the exact same place we are in now. He said, I can't tell if this makes me feel better or worse, although I can't envision a miracle like winning away at City from 2-0 down at the halftime. Uh, we don't have to leave our final nine points until the last three matches. Here's to hoping, um, a little bit of solace there from James that Fulham have got previous from being in exactly the same position as 07 08. And look, Fulham did not put it together in 07 08 until literally the last five games of that season. We were awful pretty much consistently under Hodgson until then. The next four games do seem crucial for Fulham, Jack. And I know there's a long time to go, but if we don't get a win out of Everton, Burnley, Sheffield United and Palace before we play Man City, then Liverpool, it's surely then curtains. At the moment, there's the slightest chink of light. But if there's nothing out of these four games in February, then it's surely the fat lady singing.
3: Yeah, I mean, you're looking at 12 games to go at that point, And I, I always kind of return back to the, the kind of point that if we're three game, if we're three points off anyone out of the relegation zone on the final day of the season, then anything can happen. But you know that that is literally just maths. So there, there, there's not there's not too much here that I'm saying that anyone doesn't know. It's not over by any stretch of the imagination. But I think that you know we're going to need to turn around some form reasonably quickly. It's not necessarily you know as Peter said before, all about the the numbers. It's about the kind of feeling that it's doable. And at the moment eight points, 10 points to Newcastle, eight points to Burnley feels at, that it's oh, not achievable in the sense that you're not like, Oh, that's, that's well easy, but it feels like it's not, you know, the the worst mountain in the world to climb. I think we, especially with 16 games left, right? If that cuts down to eight games and the gap is still the same, then you start to, you start to worry, right? Because suddenly the point that, you know, the opportunities to pick up those points are, are diminishing. And, and and yeah, so I, I think you're right. I think what you've got to do is, you know, pick up these wins, not necessarily all in, in one go, but enough to keep yourselves in in touch, in in the hunt. And and, and so much of that is going to be mental, as much as you know, the, the mathematicals and the physicals of what's going on. It's the it's the fact that you feel like you're in the hunt. And at the moment, from what we're seeing from the players, you know, Joachim yeah, Anderson especially, but we've seen similar from Harrison Reid and Tosin, you know, them saying, We feel like the win is coming. We feel like uh, you know, we've got something moving in the right direction. And that's, you know, objectively, obviously, very pleasing because it means that there's still that sense of hope, that sense of camaraderie, that sense of, you know, this can be achieved. And while I, you know, while I like the, the point that that is raised here about the great escape, I think you made a point earlier that the players don't care that we haven't won at Goodison for 50 years. They also probably don't relate that much to a team that played for Fulham 14 years ago. Um, you know, they probably aren't. N- not that they wouldn't be completely aware, and I'm sure someone has been like, "Oh, we've had, we've been in this position before, and we've got out of it." And that's obviously something to cling on to. But I don't think they're sitting there going, "Yep, we're exactly the same mould as uh, the Roy Hodgson team in you know seven. So therefore, we uh, therefore we can definitely get out of this. I think that this is a team that at the moment believe in themselves, and that's the key. I think that that there's still hope to staying up. You know, this is a team that still believe that they can get themselves out of this mire. It's when that starts to fade that you really start to worry.
0: Yeah. I think the, uh, the, the comparison to the great escape was more of a quirk for, for me than something that I reckon that Scott Parker, uh, pinned up onto the dressing room wall, but you never know. Maybe he's into that kind of thing. I mean, if you're looking at this weekend's fixtures from, from the relegation rivals, I feel like at some point we need to start doing this because their games do matter as well. Now, um, Burnley away at palace. That's an interesting one. Um, Brighton at home to, to Villa and then Newcastle, uh, away To Chelsea. Obviously, West Brom host Man United and Sheffield United travel away to West Ham. I'm not reading anything into fixtures now and saying that's a winnable game, that's not a winnable game, because I think if anything has been proven in the last few weeks, every game is winnable to anyone. I would never have said Burnley going to Liverpool was possible for them to get a win, vice versa, Newcastle winning with nine men. Um, But they are the fixtures. Read read into it what you will. Um, Right, we're going to take a quick break and then afterwards we're going to look back at that decision for Harvey Elliott. Part two of the Fulhamish podcast. Sammy James here with Peter Rutzler. Hello, and Jack Collins. Hello, listeners. Uh, Peter, you raised a good point in the break that I forgot to mention in that first part that uh, Callum Wilson injured for Newcastle for six to eight weeks. Um, that's a
1: boost. Huge, huge. I mean, he's uh, as I also said, you know, where was he last year for, for Bournemouth? Um, <laughs> you know, his 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 form's been really, really impressive. You know, he's got he's got a point to prove and um he he's doing that he's carried them a little bit at times with his goals and his ability to to win penalties and, and red cards of players like Anderson and um that that makes such a difference having having a goal scorer in your team and and that that's that's what he's been for them um so his absence is massive obviously they've got Sam Matzman back and he's just seems to have completely transformed their attack um the freedom and the fluidity of it he he's made such an, an impression but you Know you, you, we're clutching on to all the small things at the moment, so when when news of that comes out that Wilson's out and the sun, it's like, oh, okay, maybe, maybe we can drag Newcastle in again. Um, but yeah, we'll, 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 we'll see, as you said, you know, the way the games are falling, anything could happen, Fulham could win the next five, who knows? <laughs>
0: um, I, I like that when the um. When the tweet came out, Rupert Lewis responded to Fulhamish with the uh, Jim Carrey mean, which which says, so you're telling me there's a chance? (laughs) Which is very much what I saw that, how I felt as well. Like, are you just going to make this, drag this out, give me false hope all the time, Fulham, that maybe we can get out of this and ultimately we're just doomed to failure. Right, let's come on to the Harvey Elliott tribunal fee. Uh, We've been waiting on this all week, Peter. We've been talking about delaying the pod because of the Harvey Elliott tribunal fee. when the announcement would come. Finally, pretty late on Wednesday evening, past 10 o'clock, it was announced that uh, Fulham will get up to 4.3 million. Of course, if you can't remember, Harvey Elliott uh, moved a couple of seasons ago to Liverpool at just the age of 16. Um, They offered Fulham 750,000. We rejected it. uh, So it went to a tribunal. We also get 20% of the sell-on fee. Uh, and F- Fulham, Peter, seem very happy with this decision. I mean, they initially wanted ten million, um, but they seem very happy to settle for the kind of four-ish that they've got.
1: Yeah, uh, very pleased actually. Uh, they're very pleased with it and grateful to the tribunal for it. I think it is a record fee for a sixteen-year-old. So when you when you consider that it was, uh, it considers the training and development side, and he is only sixteen. Um, you know, they're quite happy with it. I mean. Uh, personally uh, I find the whole thing quite uncomfortable. I think the whole way youth transfers are done and, and this isn't just to say you know Fulham have, uh, are the only ones here who, who lose out I mean Fulham have taken advantage of these kind of situations before with with e triple P which is the elite player performance plan um which which is the system that Overlooks uh, academy football introduced in 2012 sets the academy category rankings and and the the performance game plans uh, which is uh, matches between different academy setups um, at that level they there are fixed fees for for youth players and you know Fulham most one one most recent is Jay Stansfield who, who Fulham took from uh, from ever, from ever, from Exeter for relatively little money at all um, so. I think with Elliot I mean part of the issue I have is Elliot is quite clearly an incredible talent Um, he's still showing it it's not this isn't some kind of flash in the pan or anything I mean he's he's four goals and eight assists at Blackburn at the moment there's a reason all the big clubs were were after him uh, when he first broke onto the scene Um, and Fulham are only guaranteed at this point 1.7 million according to James Pearce who, who covers Liverpool for us at The Athletic and then the rest is, is due to appearances. And so to get the full 4.3 million, Fulham will need uh, Elliot to have played at least 100 appearances for Liverpool and, and also get an England cap. I look at it and I, I, I just don't think the system really rewards academies enough for producing key players. So if you take someone like Elliot, Elliot's a player who is, is maybe once in a generation for, for an academy at that. Maybe. He might be, might be. Uh, but that's how he was regarded. Like, there's no doubt about that. Um, he's the kind of player that can one transform your fortunes on the pitch or transform them financially. And and Fulham at this point won't receive that. Now, obviously, the sell on fee is huge. I think that's that's probably why Fulham are pleased. I, th- I think that's a fair assumption to make because if if Elliot goes on and, and does really well at Liverpool and goes to Real Madrid for a hundred million quid, Fulham are quids in, and they can't you can't necessarily complain too much. Obviously, the flip side is if he stays at Liverpool and does a Steven Gerrard for the rest of his career, then Fulham are getting hardly anything at all for a player who could win titles and trophies and whatever. Um, it's it's a complex one because you, you're 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 betting on potential, aren't you? You're you're looking at the future and 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 how much money you can make potentially on his ability. He could he could snap his knee ligaments. I hope he doesn't. I don't mean to make that sound very crass, and because of the implications of that and and how difficult it is, but he could suffer a serious injury um that delays his career or doesn't which means he doesn't fulfill his potential any anything can can happen so it, it is difficult but then you make comparisons obviously re- Brewster is one I, I've made in a in a in a column today about about Elliot where he's gone for 20 million to to Sheffield United and there are differences there you know he has been around on the second a little bit longer had far more minutes but you know Elliot's regarded and probably a higher regard than, than, than Brewster is and you do wonder, you do, I, I, I don't think the system at the moment is set up to reward academies for the talent they produce.
0: But Fulham aren't blameless in all of this. You know, we aren't the, uh, the poor victim that have had our player taken away because we've kind of done it to other clubs. And, and the case in point is obviously Jay Stansfield and Exeter were so upset by that. They came out and made a statement about it at the time.
1: Yeah, no. As I said on, on on Jay Stansfield, you know, he was taken from from Exeter, um, and I think at the time, you know, Exeter of course were, were unhappy about it, but uh, you know, Fulham paid a fee higher than than they would have wanted in an arbitration fee, so they were they were more accepting of the move. But again, that comes into to E Triple P and the, the the fixed transfer fees at, at younger age groups, which which allow for the bigger teams to take young players for for very very little money. Um. Fulham aren't blameless I mean it's it's a, it's the, the product of the system it's sort of geared to those with, with bigger pockets and I just don't think that's necessarily fair now obviously the player has agency too um you know I, I mean in the case of Jude Bellingham I think he he signed a contract which allowed Birmingham to to make money from him so th- there's that side of it but also from his point from a player's point of view he sh- why should he be restricted for who he gets to play for um you know, should should the fact that he's been at Fulham for X amount of years mean that he he's not entitled to to move to another club? I mean, who would begrudge him going to Liverpool? I don't. I don't think that's that's kind of the point. Um, it's it, that's why there, there are lots of different nuances, and it's actually difficult to find the right balance. I think that the fact that there's a sell on is a really encouraging thing. I just think. Fulham haven't reaped the benefit from one of the best ever talents that's come through their ranks because one, he hasn't made a difference on the field. You know, Ryan Sessegnon, of course, went for good money to Tottenham and also helped the team to promotion. Elliot has barely featured. They won't really see a financial recompense. And if he doesn't move on from Liverpool, which is possible, I don't think there's enough teeth and there's not enough appearance clauses. I mean, if he makes 100 appearances for Liverpool, he's, he's worth probably a little bit more than 4 million quid. Um, so yeah, it's, it's a really complex thing. Um, I just don't think the system at the moment is geared to supporting academies and that is more damaging across the game because you want more clubs across the country producing players and giving them opportunities to, to progress.
3: Yeah, I mean, there's been some pretty nasty ones. The Jay Stansfield one, as you mentioned, went through reasonably smoothly and, and Exeter, obviously while they were sad to lose a player you know, of that talent, seemed to be relatively okay with what Fulham had done, with the, the compensation paid, etc. The one that jumps to mind for me is Luca Murphy from Hartlepool. Um, and I remember we agreed a fee with them when he came on trial with us and then said that he wasn't good enough. He went back to Hartlepool, started, you know, <laughs> had a bit of a, a mess, acted up, got released and then Fulham signed him. And <laughs> that all smelt a bit wrong, didn't it? That all that all didn't rankle particularly nicely with with any of us reading it. And, you know, there were, you know, Hartlepool came out and said they were going to they were going to pursue compensation, all of these things. So so there are different there are different things at work here and and I guess in some ways it's just your position in the food chain. Now as Peter says that doesn't make it right and obviously Fulham are seeing the the bleaker side of that in, in terms of Harvey Elliott and how he moved on but you know, and also, I guess, how far back do you take it? Because at some point we know that as a you know a very young player and obviously under a certain age, you can't be officially signed to one club, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But, uh, you know, as a very young player, Harvey Elliott started out at QPR. Now, at, he obviously joined the Fulham Academy at 11 uh, and worked his way up through there. But at what point did, did that become, you know, did that switch become official? Was he playing just for numerous clubs and decided on Fulham? Seems a little bit weird considering I think he was a QPR fan growing up. Um, and, and there are, you know, there are lots of different things going on here that, that all work in different ways. And, and, and it's not a very nice world in some ways. It's, it's a bit of this dark heart, the dark underbelly of football. And I mean, I think it ties in a little bit with the article we saw a couple of weeks back from Max Noble. Um, on the eye about the kind of underbelly of how youth football works and how players are are basically molded in the shape that a club wants to try and get the best deal for the club rather than the player. And 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 look, if if Harvey Elliott's gone off to Liverpool to try and you know, make his way and wants to go and play for the you know the champions of England currently, etc., then it's hard to blame him for that. But at the same time, you know, does this just expose kind of a darker heart at the, at the heart of youth football? Then then I think yes, it does.
0: Yeah, interesting on that Max Noble one. Um, The Fulham Supporters Trust brought it up in their February meeting with the club following the allegations of uh, historic bullying and racism uh, made by Noble. But the club said that they take any allegation of this type extremely seriously and confirm that they've launched uh, an internal investigation based on FA advice. So uh, we will see what the outcome is of that. Um, A kind of knock-on effect from the Harvey Elliott decision Last night, we thought that was it in terms of Fulham world. And then um, Tony Khan opened his Twitter app and decided to send a few tweets. And I think us on Twitter can sometimes blow out of proportion the importance of what is said on that app. And I'm sure there will be plenty of people listening to this. who don't touch Twitter with a barge pole. And rightly so you've got your priorities spot on in life. Um, but there was a strange little exchange. Uh, and it started off between Darren McAntony, who is the um, owner of Peterborough uh, and Tony Khan, who of course is director of football operations at, at Fulham. And it was a talk about Ivan Tony, right? Who is banging in the goals for Brentford scored another one last night. It sent them top of the league. And look, it's, it's it's looking like the the bees could be going up, and obviously with Fulham going down, it's it's not great. And you know what song's coming? But Daryl cantony was trying to validate how Ivan Tony was worth the money that Brentford paid for him and was worth his valuation. And someone replied to Darren McAntony saying, if I was Fulham, West Brom or any of these teams that could go down, I would have done anything to buy him this season. He is Premier League class all day long. Darren McAntony said, and a quote tweet, to be fair, Fulham manager wanted him, which then sparks Tony Khan to respond to that to say, I did like him a lot. I still do. And I was the one that brought him up in the meetings in brackets, the general manager, not the manager went on to talk about how he had a great profile, but because of the constraints of FFP that he couldn't sign Ivan Tony, he then did a few more tweets responding to both myself and Jack saying that it was relevant for him to bring it up because of yesterday's tribunal decision. Uh, I mean, Peter, from the outside, um, looking in, um, you kind of took a fresh approach on it this morning when it wasn't half midnight last night. What was your view on, on these tweets? Because to me, it just seemed a bit bizarre. And, and I literally said to him, Tony, I was like, I don't think anyone really needed to know.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's uh, from my point of view, it's, I find it interesting because it's, it's information that Fulham, Fulham were looking at certain players. So um, I don't think that's much of a surprise. I think most clubs were probably looking at Ivan Tony and uh, considering what, what Tony Khan said before about FFP and what we know when you consider the 2018-19 spending, COVID-19 and, and whatever else. Um that the, the things are tight. Uh, so the fact that Fulham weren't able to sign in makes makes sense. So the fact that that was explained isn't necessarily a surprise. We know that Tony Khan likes to use Twitter. Um, so from that side, it's, it's not a surprise. I guess, um, I think that the thing that seemed to really you know, set, set fire to the fan base or just get discussion going was the fact that he said, uh, you know, I was the one who looked at him, general manager, not the manager, um, which, seemed kind of weird. I mean, it's, it's unusual that he had to clarify that, you know, he was overseeing the transfers and then it wasn't necessarily Parker who brought it up. Uh, we all know that Tony Khan oversees transfers at, at Fulham. He, you know, he, that's, that's, that's what he controls. And Parker does have a strong input on that. Uh, as he's discussed before, that's, that's not uncommon. Um, but obviously, you know, because of the, how much of a, a lightning rod the transfers issue is, um, it, it, it sort of, Piqued everyone's interest. Um, I guess the question is why? Why he had to sort of clarify that? Um, now, I, you know, for one thing, it could be just to to reinforce that, that he you know does oversee the transfers. So I think that that could be it. I mean, Tony Khan would have to explain that probably himself why he wanted to clarify. It. But um, but then also at the same time, I think the word "manager" used by Darren McCantony opens up a whole can of worms again when it comes to transfers. You know, was it was this a case of? Scott Parker wanting a player that Tony Khan would facilitate, and I can see how that then necessarily translates to him going, "Okay, I need to respond to this and, and clarify that you know this was this was me." I mean, it could easily have been sold by just saying, "Yes, we Fulham were interested," um, but you know, I think that yeah, there is that's where the, the open-endedness comes in. And that's what you're exposed to with, with things like Twitter, when you do put things out, because when you do discuss these things publicly, they can be interpreted in different ways. You know, the fact that the characters are limited means <laughs> you can see things in any, any different kind of light and you're constantly making inferences like we're, we're trying to do here. And, um, and it's, it's, it's difficult. And, it, it, you know, I, I don't know how that may implicate for, for how to do business or, or whatever. Um, but I, I don't think it was a, a major thing. I can see why you'd want to explain why Fulham can sign him if they were interested. I mean, FFP is a, a valid explanation. I mean, where the FFP issue comes from is a different conversation. But the fact that they couldn't sign him is is a legitimate one in the summer. Um, no, I think it's it's relatively interesting. It's not it's not sorry, it is unusual for a club to say we were interested in this player. Normally, that will come out through 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 conversations I have with people or like other journalists and, and media interest that sort of way. Um, so in that sense, it, it can, can be interesting, but at the same time, you know, is it really you know needed? Is it necessary? Does that, what's to gain from that other than informing and forming supporters? Um, so yeah, uh, I, I guess the, the fact that the Elliott tribunal came through and it had that, that some of some of money guaranteed may have made some kind of difference. And probably that's why, why Tony Khan came out and, and tweeted, but, um, yeah, that's, that's sort of how I, I sort of see it. But I mean, it's just you know, it's, it's the, the clarifying thing, which naturally will 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 trigger the long-term discussions about who controls transfers. What say does Parker have? My understanding is that Parker does have a say. He does. It, he's very involved in it. Tony Khan is, has. You know, he runs it. That's his thing. Um, there are multiple boxes to tick and that's how that's how it works
3: it's a funny one isn't it because obviously I mean the analytics team I would imagine were probably the lead on Ivan Tony because Scott with the amount of work he was having to do especially late on in the season watching tape you know trying to improve performances etc etc probably wasn't watching all that much Peterbury United you'd imagine you know that's what the recruitment team is there for so for for it to have been a stats led or you know, analytics-led signing isn't that weird from my perspective, right? I think that if you look at Ivan Tony's numbers, then they stand up. If you look at what he brings to a team, then then they stand up. And all of these things would suggest that yes, it probably was analytics that brought him brought him to the table. Scott probably had a look at that tape and thought, yeah would quite like a bit of that. He looks good. The scouting department probably agreed. That's the whole point of the recruitment system, isn't it? That there are lots of people involved in lots of different ways that give us, you know, different angles on a certain player before they're signed. That's supposed to be the whole the whole way it works. So it's not a surprise to anybody. I don't think that this, if there was interest in Ivan Tony which we thought in the summer we spoke about in the summer uh, that it was it was probably analytics led i just don't hugely see what the gain is and i've said this at the time you know i, I don't see what the gain is in in calling it i, I take peter's point that if people had seen Darren McCantony's tweet and they'd said oh, Scott wanted him and the recruitment team didn't bring him in Then that could have brought Flak down, fine. Yeah, I I think that's reasonable because that that has happened before. But I just don't think that many people would have seen it, to be honest. And that's my kind of biggest bugbear with the whole thing. It's that I don't think many people would have been that tuned in to what the Peterborough United chairman was tweeting about. Yes, it might have been picked up by a couple of Fulham accounts. People would have probably looked at it and thought we were interested in the player in the summer. We didn't get him. Okay. Yeah. And, and yeah. we would have moved on and that would have been, and that would have been that. And instead we're now embroiled in a Twitter storm where everybody is losing their minds a little bit for, for, for no huge reason. And for a player that we didn't even sign, which is perhaps the most mad thing of the whole lot. If this was for a player that Fulham had signed, then maybe you'd be a bit like, okay, well at least it's something vaguely relevant to to us now. But I mean, as I tweeted, you know, it was a player we didn't sign. That player is currently firing our rivals to the premier league And, you know, last summer I thought about investing in Tesla and Bitcoin, but I didn't. But the people that (laughs) did invest in Tesla and Bitcoin are now millionaires. You know, it's okay, cool. I missed my shot with that one. It's upsetting, but I'm, I'm not tweeting Elon Musk to tell him that I nearly bought some of his Bitcoin.
1: Um. <laughs> I mean, like, like I said, like I still think it's kind. Of, it's in, like, as I said, from from my perspective, and you know, generally, it's interesting to know that it's a player that Fulham were looking at. Like to have that confirmed, you don't get that from that side of things. It's unusual that sort of transparency. It's it's not common. You don't see that with with other clubs. Granted, but that doesn't. I don't necessarily see it as a as ne- as a major issue, so to speak. It's just like having. Uh, what is essentially a rumour confirmed from someone, you know, normally that sort of information would come out through, through, through media or, or people speaking to different people and, and that side of things. And to be honest, Darren McAnton is one who's done exactly the same thing here, to be fair. He's just, he pointed out who was interested in him at the time. And Tony Khan kind of sort of just said, well, yeah, that, that's, that's sort of true. So there is that side to it. I guess the, the flip side is what's there to, to gain other than to tell people that even Tony is, was on Fulham's radar. And I mean, to be honest, is it, that side of the discussion isn't necessarily a big deal. I don't think, but
0: I think it you know, may be just the fact that it was quite undermining of Scott Parker. Like, no, 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 it wasn't Scott, wasn't Scott that was interested in him. It was me. It was me, Tony Khan. And, and that kind of like face of Fulham's transfers that he's adopted, I think is, is what people find frustrating in, in, in Tony. And look, he, has clearly lots of other vested interests at the moment and and fulham fans who are desperate for fulham to stay up that's all fulham fans really want we just want to stay up in the premier league and a team that competes and and to sign decent players in the transfer window and fulham fans see wrestling tweet after wrestling tweet after wrestling tweet the video that we saw yesterday and then all we get on fulham is this kind of odd spat about a player that we didn't sign and to make sure that everyone knows that he was the one that suggested him. I I, I I think it all just harks back to the fact that I don't think Twitter is the best platform for all this. And I would just prefer if Tony, when it comes to Fulham wasn't on Twitter.
1: Yeah. I mean, that goes, that, again, that's the, that's the thing about the, you know, interpreting the word manager, isn't it? Was this a case of Tony going like, it was, it was actually me who was interested. Or was it a case of, I need to make sure I don't, this doesn't come across as uh, the managers interested, but I didn't, reinforce it and trying to make a difference between general manager and, and, and manager. And again, it's interpretation. And again, it's how you interpret Twitter and, and the way you transfer seems to be such a, such a lightning rod, you can interpret it whichever way you prefer sometimes. Um, and I, I don't know which was which, as I said before, it could be, it could be either it, Tony himself would probably be the only one who could probably answer, answer that, but that's how it looks. And that's how people are going to interpret it. and it gives fuel to the fire and it just keeps going in a spiral. And, and he just sort of adds weight to, to everything. So yeah. Yeah, it's it's Twitter, isn't it? And it's it's a drain and it's um but yeah, it's it's just, it's how it's how it's how it's interpreted, isn't it? Yeah.
0: Okay. Well we're gonna uh, leave it there and after the break, Don Betts has an opposition preview with Thomas Robertson of the Toffee Blues. Part three of the Fulhamish podcast. Sammy here with Jack and Peter. Let's cross over to Dom, who has today's opposition preview with an Everton fan looking ahead to that game on Sunday. Uh, He spoke to Thomas Robertson of the Toffee Blues and started off by asking him whether this season has been as expected or whether it's exceeded expectations.
2: Well, Coming off the back of last season, everyone knew that there needed to be improvement. But I think people always had faith that there would be. Uh, with Carlo Ancelotti as the manager, you know you're not gonna you're not gonna settle for a really poor season like we had. And we knew we had to recruit well in the summer. Uh, we we had to basically transform a home midfield, bringing in our Corey and Alan, and of course Rodriguez on a free. Uh, when, when those signs came in, I think everyone was a lot more optimistic. Then we went on that brilliant run at the start of the season, uh, which everyone you know everyone was talking about. That we had a bit of a dip in November, but but since then uh, we've been absolutely brilliant. And then I think. With Carlo Ancelotti as the manager, it's it's just about time. You know he's going to come good eventually. You know he's going to be able to transform the players into you know a really solid squad. And it's not even just about the signings either. He's he's turned some of the players we've had. You know, absolutely brilliant. Tom Davis uh, for the past few games. A few ever fans have written him off. He he can't really hit the heights that we were hoping for. But in the past few games, you know he's been absolutely brilliant. And uh, Dominic Calvert-Lewin as well. I think he goes without saying. He's been just tremendous and a lot of that will definitely have to do with Carlo Ancelotti and it's you know it's the, it's the mentality you know the, the mental strength that he brings as well uh, in the Spurs game last night I mean ridiculous game 1-0 down 3-1 up then they get it back to 3-3 we're 4-3 up then it's is 4-4 then eventually it's 5-4 takes a lot of mental strength I mean definitely from both sides but you know we, we had to keep getting out scoring those goals because we were without Calvert-Lewin for uh, the majority of the match in the end uh, so we we, we we lost our main goal threat, and it, it, it's that mentality that Ancelotti's definitely brought. So, yes, uh, last season was ridiculously disappointing, and none of us could really believe where we'd ended up at the end of the season, considering Carlo Ancelotti was the manager. But then, when he's been given time to bring in the players that he wanted, we, you know, we've been absolutely brilliant this season.
4: Yeah, and you know, main thing about Everton well, ever since Ancelotti's come in, you spoke about uh, Dominic Calvert-Lewin. What do you think that Ancelotti's changed about Dominic Calvert-Lewin? Because you know, he had he had critics and you know, I was probably one of them before before he came and I didn't think he was as good as he is as, as he has been showing this season and, and last season. But you know, the statistics something crazy. Like since Angelotti's Ancelotti's come in, the only player who's probably scored more goals and him or more goal contributions is probably someone like Harry Kane or hungman's son. Mm. What do you think Ancelotti has changed about uh how, did he has he just made him focus on scoring goals, if if it is put that simply?
2: Uh, I guess to an extent, yeah. I think obviously the massive part of Dominic Cummings' game is his positioning. He is that kind of player that's only just, he's just going to be in and around the box, and he's always going to be trying scoring goals. You know, around the six-yard box, maybe a bit further out. But I think all of his goals have come from within the box this season. So we, I think I think we knew he had it in his locker, but he really needed someone to come in and you know uh, bring him out of his shell. And I mean, Ancelotti's worked with you know the best strikers in the world, so I guess there's no there's no better tutorage at all. And he's been working with Duncan Ferguson as well, who's clearly helped his game a lot, a lot, sorry. He's become this really, you know, tall physical presence, which we knew he was, but obviously he, he's got a few years under his belt now, uh, now at the club where, you know, he's, he's really started to puff out a bit and that's really helped him. And in past managers, when things were going downhill, it was basically, you know, pumping up to Calvert-Lewin, who's going to try and run in channels and hope for a ball at the end. But the, the rest of the team uh, playing better, we're much better on the ball than we ever have been. That That's really helped him as well, because it takes a lot of the, the pressure off him to kind of just hold up the ball all the time, which obviously he still does. But under you know under managers like, like Marco Silva, you know, he was still very young and he was being asked to you know, shoulder a lot of the responsibility for the team. When it comes to
4: scoring goals, do you think, do, do, do you find it concerning when he is out? You know, obviously, he picked up an injury against Tottenham. We don't know the full extent to whether, how long, if he's going to be out on Sunday or how long he could be out for. Do you find it worrying that, you know, for example, you haven't got anyone else in double digits for goals? I've I think your next top goal scorer has only got six or seven. Is that is that, a sort, is that a sort of area of concern for Everton that, you know, it, it, if you're looking at the sort of percentage of goals that Cavaluna score for you guys, that you're heavily reliant on his um, presence up front?
2: I think we're very heavily reliant on him, but I think that's because Richarlsson's had a pretty poor season all in all so far. He did manage to score twice, I think, against Spurs last night. So if Richardson can hit you know, the good form that we know he has been, he's been our top scorer for the past couple of seasons. So if we can get back him him back up to the level of performances that we know he can do, we, we should be all right from a goal perspective. Yes, this season he, he hasn't really played too well. He'll be very disappointed in himself. And I think Ancelotti has been quite vocal in saying that he, he just needs to improve, he needs to work harder. So Cavallum being out... We don't know how long for. He did obviously come off last night, whether that was just precautionary or because he is, you know, he does have a bit of a, an injury that might take a couple of weeks to clear up. It, it's always going to be a bit of a disappointment, but we've won games without him this season. It was the Wolves game we turned up. Uh, we managed to win with Hamas Rodriguez and Gilfie Sinkson at striker, which is not sure. I'm not, I'm not sure anyone really expected us to turn up like that. So we, we know that the team's very tactically flexible. So if, if Calvin Lewis not there, we we don't suffer as a, as a whole team. Yes, from a goal scoring perspective, it, it's not ideal. He is our you know he is our main goal scorer. But if Charleston can you know carry on the vein of form that he that he hit last night, can get that confidence back, then goal shouldn't be too much of a problem. And we do have other threats like Hamez, if he's back fit, and even Gilfusig, and uh, dare I say it, he he can score an odd goal or two on his day. So yeah, it, it is tricky without calvert Loon, and if he's injured for a while, we will definitely feel it.
4: One area that a lot of people talk about is obviously the goalkeeper situation at Everton with, you know, Jordan Pickford and Jonas Olsen. You know, I I often feel like with Jordan Pickford, yes, he does make mistakes, but a lot of keepers do, it's just the ones that Jordan Pitford seems to make get emphasised quite a lot just because he's England's number one and Southgate, you know, Southgate, there's no reason Southgate to drop him in regard to his in-performances because whenever he plays for England, he seems to not really make, make too many mistakes. But what, what is Everton's fans sort of take on the situation? Um, would you be looking to get an improved number one in the summer or are you happy with Pickford and also at the moment?
2: I, I can't say I'm happy with Pickford by any means. I think he, he has good moments. I think he's a brilliant you know, reaction in every keeper. But then the mistakes he makes, that, that's what costs you the goals at the end of the day. You can make you know, f- three or four good saves in a game, but if you cost him a goal that you shouldn't have conceded, then you kind of wipe out all that good work. And Robin Olsen, when he's been coming in as deputy, has been absolutely brilliant, but he, he hasn't really set the world alight. It's just the fact that we've had a few years of a keeper that's looked like a liability every time the ball comes into the box, that now we've got a keeper who's solid and doing what's expected of him, that we're all getting very excited I think in the long term, I think we would need a new number one. Olsen is 30, I believe, or somewhere around there. John Pickford, for me, I don't think it's really ever going to work for him, despite the fact he has hit good runs of form this season. We all know he's still got that moment in him, and opposition attackers know he's got that moment in him as well. You know that that, that gamble that you take uh, as a forward, if you know, keep us out of form, then that, that that plays on your mind as well, and it, it'll play on the defence's mind uh, uh, alongside that. So. I think in the long term, we definitely do need a new number one. I think Robin Olsen's very good at doing you know, what's been asked of him so far. It seems like John Pickford, as soon as he's fit, though, does always come back into the side, which is it's a bit disappointing because Robin Olsen has played absolutely brilliantly for the past few games. I mean, I know he conceded four last night and three against United. He did have a tricky game at Old Trafford, but last night he pulled off some brilliant saves to just keep us in it at the end of the day uh, when it was 1-0 and then when it was 3-3. So it's a frustrating one from an Everton fan's perspective because, we all know that Robin Olson's probably the more solid keeper, but John Pickford is the quote-unquote number one. So when he's back fit, he, he does kind of have to go into the side. So I think in the long term, yes, we do need a new, how do you say, well, star goalkeeper with Robin Olsen as the backup. But you, you can't just keep signing keepers as well. I mean, it all depends if anyone would want to sign John Pickford, which I wouldn't be surprised if they don't after some of the mistakes he's made. But I, I like John Pickford a lot. I, I, I don't want to see him struggle as much as he is. But for me, I think Robin Olson's just the better goalkeeper.
4: Yeah, and if we look at the reverse fixture, it was sort of when Fulham were just turning a corner. You know, we were, we weren't conceding goal goals three or four and, and for no reply. And you know, it didn't start well with you guys getting getting very early early goal. Obviously, it was the early kickoff on the BBC. Ended up finishing three two, and you know, it was it was it was a good away win for you guys, and it was a disappointing result for us because we did play well in the game and we had chances, but you guys ended up being the more clinical of the two. Do you think you know with that quick start? Do you think that's something that Everton might look to take confidence from again to try? If they do, they they know if they get that early goal against Fulham, it will be quite hard for uh, for our side to get a good
2: result. Uh, de- definitely, yeah. Especially now, now we are the home side. Whether that has you know too much of a, an, advan- an advantage these days, we don't really know. But uh, our problem has been in the past few games. We've actually started very slowly. It's, it's been disappointing against United. Uh, you know, we, we conceded it quite early on and we, we didn't really grow into the game until the second half and against Spurs we conceded that really early goal and we were quite fortunate to score three in seven minutes, which sounds ridiculous to say out loud but uh, the past few games we, we have started quite slowly but I, I think with teams uh, like yourselves you know, the, the teams in the relegation battle the, the first goal is, is always massive in the game uh, whether that's a mentality thing a quality thing, I'm not sure because you know, Fulham, you, you really do have some quality players it, it not, I don't think it's through a lack of you know, quality on the pitch. Maybe it's just a confidence thing. I'm not too sure, I, I, I can't say that. I, I watched too many of your games, but I think it was evident last game that those early goals really set us up for the rest of the game. Bear in mind, we, we were quite poor for the rest of the game from there. You, you you probably played better in the second half than us, which is, you know, ridiculous from our perspective. We were on a very good run and all of a sudden, uh, we go to Craven Cottage and we do we do kind of struggle. So I, I agree that if we get the early goal here, we should be seeing the rest of the game out. However, I won't be surprised if we don't get the early goal here because we've been starting the past few games. Quite poorly, uh, but yeah, I, th- I think it's important in-, in these games, especially to get get the early goal, get the first goal, and then uh, play a normal game from there. As you, as as we you, as we've been mentioning, you know, in in
4: the reverse fixture when Tom Clark came on, and spoke to us. He he explained about and um, that you know, Lookman will want to prove a point against Everton, and maybe not as much of Anthony Romsons case, but Adam Luckman. And so what have you made of Adam Luckman? Is this is as we have we. The sparks we've seen from this season, is this the ability that Everton fans always knew that was in the
2: player? I think I think that word sparks pretty much sums up Adam Ola-Luckman from what we saw. There, there were moments where he was an absolutely brilliant player and we thought he had plenty of potential, but I'm not sure his head was ever fully at the club. He then went to RB Leipzig. It, it worked well from there, but then when he joined on a permanent, it, it went horribly wrong for him. So I, I think I think the definition of Adam Ola-Luckman as a player is you know sparks of really good play, but then he has just... Some moments that you can't really understand. I mean, I remember that penalty earlier on in the season, not really sure what he was trying to do there. You know, he, he has these moments where it, it makes me think that he's never really going to make it at the top level. I, under Allardyce, I don't blame him for wanting to leave. Allardyce was basically refusing to play him. But if, if he saw, if Big Sam saw something on the training ground that he didn't like, which clearly maybe is a mentality thing, then maybe that is the problem. But Luckman is a player who has bags of potential but maybe it, it's never just going to quite work out for him he, he will have good runs don't get me wrong he is still a player with a lot of ability a lot of talent but would he ever put that together for a you know a complete season and really be that top player I'm not too sure I'd like to see him prove me wrong I mean you know he I, I wanted him to, I wanted to see him do well at evidently it really didn't work out for him and then it didn't work out for him in Germany and now he's obviously with yourself so I think yes you are going to see flashes of 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 brilliance from Luckman but you're probably never going to see it over an entire season and I think he will want to prove a point I I think he left Everton thinking the club you know know, he was quite hard done by which I can't really understand but yeah good player on his day but is he ever going to you know put those constant back-to-back performances in where he's going to be carrying through games probably not but I mean that's yet to be seen. And if I'm going to push you for a score prediction for what are you going to go with? (laughs) Uh, tricky on that one. I never seem to get score predictions right. They're, they're always very, very difficult. I'd like to see a 2-0 Everton win because, yes, I, I do think we'll score goals, definitely, and I, I do think we'll we'll win the game. But the clean sheet is something that I'd really like to see from the from the defence. Keep it solid for the whole game. You know, just because you are on a relegation fight, that doesn't mean it's going to be a simple game by any means. It's, it's improved at Craven Cottage. So I'll go for a 2-0 Everton win. I'm not expecting loads of goals. I'm, I'm probably expecting a, a slightly open game because... You do like to play quite, you know, attacking, expansive football, which we will look to exploit. So yeah, 2-11 win I'll go for.
0: Thank you very much to Thomas from the Toffee Blues and to Dom, of course, for doing our opposition preview. Uh, That is a bit of a cut-down version. If you'd like to watch the full thing, it's over on our YouTube channels. Just search for Fulhamish. Make sure you subscribe and you get all our other great video content, including our full-time lives that are after the game. And uh, if you want... Uh, another bit of analysis from the West Ham match, uh, Jack Isabel, uh, and George Cooper did a fantastic full-time live after the West Ham game. Um, it was just a, a, an excellent watch. Uh, Jack obviously is a, is a lovely conductor of the, of the orchestra when it comes to, to all things. And, uh, that was a particularly good discussion after a frustrating game. So it's live after every match. There will be one after the Everton game, of course, live on YouTube. So, uh, make sure you subscribe. Okay. Uh, that's all for the podcast today. We'll see what happens on on Sunday against Everton fingers crossed Fulham can turn it around can break the hoodoo and who knows maybe we'll break the hoodoo again against Burnley maybe all our curses up in the Northwest will be broken forever but uh, we can but dream uh, Jack Collins thank you very much thanks for having me Sammy Peter Rutzler thank you very much thanks Sammy as always and have a good weekend The podcast will be out on Monday with Jack come on you whites
3: you whites